Okay, if you have your Bibles, open it to Mark chapter 1 as we continue our series. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and they'll get you one. Last week, we started our series on the kingdom of God entitled This Beautiful Mess, practicing the presence of the kingdom of God. And this is our foundational verse. Jesus begins his ministry. His first word in, words in Mark's gospel are, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Father, as we are here this morning, we once again ask that we would fight off distraction, Lord. We ask for your help in helping us to be focused on the things that will be useful in our lives. God, that this time would be time spent with you and we would leave here changed because of that. And so may we be attentive and we ask that you would lean into us this morning, that you would speak into our souls, that you would challenge us in how we think and in how we live. Father, we give this time and opportunity to you, asking that you would work making ourselves available for what you have for us. And we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. We saw that Jesus brought the kingdom of God with him. With the king comes the kingdom. And we want to look again at what that looks like. You see, we have a view of what the kingdom of God looks like that's very different to the people of Jesus' time and culture. The children of Israel had an idea of what the kingdom of God looked like because they were looking for it. Most of us didn't even know what it was until we read about it in Scripture. We had no idea the kingdom of God, what is that? And so we want to kind of delve into what this looks like. What did they think it was? Because they had a good insight into what it was supposed to be. Jesus often through his parables would say things about the kingdom that are just intriguing to think about. He would say the kingdom is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. He said the kingdom is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest. Or the kingdom is like treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought the field. He gives these illustrations, and we're going to look at them more in depth throughout this series. But all these things, when he talked about the kingdom is like, the people who were listening to him at that time already had an idea of what he was talking about. They had an understanding, something that was real to them because it was a part of their history. For us, it's not the same way. Imagine you're, you're on an airplane and you're coming back into the United States and you're sitting down in your seat and you're sitting in coach because that's all you can afford. Um, and as you're sitting there, there's a, a gentleman who sits next to you and he's wearing these kind of red 
pajama-looking clothes, and it's just really interesting. And as you're waiting for the peanuts to come, you're thinking, well, how can I find out why this guy is dressed like this and what's going on? And so you, you start a conversation. Hey, how's it going? Um, hey, what do you do for a living? And he says, well, I, I'm a ruler. And you go, oh, really? No kidding. And you think, well, that's kind of a lame response. But you, you continue asking him, well, ruler, what, what, is, what do you rule? And he says, well, I rule my country. And he names this country Akapasistan or something. And you're not, not really familiar with what this country is. It's just some country somewhere. He goes, oh, have you heard of our country? And you politely say yes, but you're lying. And you don't really know. And so you ask him, so is the reason you're dressed this way, are those your royal clothes? And he says, no, these are just my traveling clothes. I have other clothes that I wear when I'm ruling. Oh, and then you're just curious. Do you have a, a, thr a th crown and a throne? And he goes, yes, but I don't wear my crown because I'm not ruling here on the plane. And you see, then it hits you. Even though this guy is a king in Pakistan, he has no control over you. He doesn't rule on the plane. He's just a guy with red clothes. And so now you're sitting there and you're eating peanuts and you've got a great story when you get home, but really this guy is no different than you. And so you land, the plane lands, and you're back in the good old USA, one person, one vote, you know, uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of whatever those happiness things are that you want. And you recognize that I'm not under this king's rule, but what would happen if when you got off that plane that the ground you stepped on was actually under a king's rule? What if the very air that you breathed was under the rule of a, a king? What if every creature, every being was under this king's rule, that this kingdom had say on your life? Because that's what's happened. The king has come and he's establishing his rule. And it's over all the earth. And you see, in our mind, we don't think of it in that way. We don't think of the kingdom as something that we have to respond to. The kingdom of God is, is spiritual. The kingdom of God is in the future. The kingdom of God is not something that is relevant now. But in the Hebrew mind, it was very relevant it was essential. It was a part of their history. And so when Jesus would say the kingdom is like or the kingdom of God is near, they would lean in, they would listen because they knew exactly what that meant. This is something that they were anticipating. This is something that they understood as God-fearing Jews that they were part of a chosen family that their history involved God establishing this kingdom through them, that there was a throne in Jerusalem, there was a temple. 
Now, things hadn't been going very well for them for the last 500 years, but that was nothing new. They had had problems in the past where things wouldn't go well and they would be taken captive and they would lose their land and they would lose their temple. But they always knew that God was bringing it back. And we're going to look at some of those things there. They believed the promise of God had sent through the prophets that one day this literal reign over the earth would be restored. They wrote songs about it, looking forward to that time. And we're going to look at some of those songs today. Turn with me to Psalm 47. We're going to read the whole thing. I said one through four, but we're going to read the whole thing. The psalmist writes, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy, for the Lord most high is awesome, the great king over all the earth. Notice that word king. It's an important word. It's something that they understood. He subdued nations under his people, under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. Verse 5, God has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord amid sounding of trumpets. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. Listen to this, for God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises to him, a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble, the people of God of Abraham, for the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Now, we hear these things and we think, oh, God is king over all the earth. And again, it's in a spiritual sense. But what they were singing to was for a day when God was going to reign, when he was going to establish a kingdom where there was going to be this reigning from Jerusalem that the kingdom would be established, that the kingdom would move forward through his people. Remember originally that Israel didn't have a king. They had all these prophets. And they said, we want a king too. All the other nations have kings. And so they got King Saul and later King David. And then the Lord said, it is through David that I am going to bless all the nations of the earth. His seed will never stop sitting on the throne. This is the kingdom that God is establishing. It's never going away. And so you're there living at the time. Maybe you had grandparents who knew King David or under his throne, but that's times gone bad past. Now you're looking forward to and you start singing songs. Remember when we had a king? Well, God is again going to establish his kingdom. He is going to reign. He's going to sit on his throne. How? Through the chosen one, through the Messiah. This was the hope. This was Christmas coming when you're a five-year-old. This is something you're looking forward to. This is something you desire. Something that they wanted to see take place. Go with me to Psalm 96. Starting at verse 10. Say among the nations. Notice this isn't just local. This isn't just for the nation of Israel. 
the nations. Their understanding was that the kingdom wasn't going to be just for them. It was going to be over the nations. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the people with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people's in his faithfulness. And so the idea of the kingdom of God was not just someone who was going to reign. It was someone who was going to reign in equity. It was going to bring justice. It was going to restore things. It was going to make all things right. There was going to be this rule that was going to affect the world as they knew it in a positive way. This is something that they were looking for. This is something God had done throughout their history. You see, the kingdom of God was always progressive. God's hand was always moving forward from the very beginning. In the garden after the fall, God was moving to call this man Abraham out to establish a nation. And so we see God trying to restore things. And then we have the children taken into captivity, but God raises up this man Moses to deliver the children from the bondage that they were in. And not only to deliver them from the bondage, that he sends them laws on Mount Sinai. He gives them commandments. And throughout the book of Deuteronomy, we see God establishing rules, regulations for how his rule is to take place through this people, through this nation. We see then through the prophets, when the prophets came into place, we think of a prophet as someone telling us doom and gloom. And what do we think of? When we think of prophecy, we think of dates and times. In fact, if you ever taught a high school group, they always want to know dates and times. Is he the Antichrist? Is this the mark of the beast? When does the Lord come? Do I have like a few years left before I can still party and have a good time? Or do I have to give my life to God now? I don't know their motives, but they always want to know when. What's the timing going to be? The children of Israel weren't worried or considering dates. What they were looking for is equity. When is God going to make things better? When is he going to bring righteousness in? And so when the prophets would bring judgment... What they were doing was they were judging the nation Israel for breaking the covenant with their God. You see, God had established this bond with them through Abraham, through the laws that he had given. This bond was their connection to God. And when they would disobey and they would ignore the commands of God, God would bring judgment through Babylon or other nations that would come and then the prophet would come and say, see, this is what's happening to you because you have abandoned the covenant you made, the connection you made to your God, to his kingdom, to those things. And when restoration would come, when deliverance would come again, it was again those songs when God is going to bring us back, when he is going to be enthroned. These psalms are called enthronement psalms. 
They're songs talking about when God is going to again establish this reign. Because what they wanted was this justice. What they wanted was a reign that was legitimate, that was filled with equity. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to live in a a nation where there is equality, where there is justice, where people aren't being used or abused or money can't buy the government and the control of things? And this is what they were hoping for. This is what they were longing for. This is what they thought. When Jesus would say, the kingdom of God is near, their minds went to this place that was real, that was tangible, that was continuing. Not just showing up for the first time, but something that was progressing as God had been faithful to this people throughout the centuries. It had history. It had a connection. To us, it's like the guy on the plane. Hey, nice clothes. That's cool. But it's not something that we see ourselves connected to many times. And so it's important that when we hear Jesus speaking about the kingdom of God, he's talking about something that's been happening long before we got on the scene. For some reason, the Western world, at least here in the United States, Christianity revolves around the United States. People think the United States is the new Israel. We've only been here a few hundred years. That's not very long as far as empires are concerned. This is something that had been previous, going on for a long time. The kingdom was something that was tangible. The prophets talk about it as well. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 10 through 11, it says, Shout and be glad, daughter of Zion, for I am coming. This is something that they are waiting for. There is someone who's coming. And I will live among you declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day, and I will become my people. I will live among you, and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. And so now Jesus comes on the scene, and he says, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is like this and is like that. And they're looking at him, and they're saying, are you the one who's coming? Are you the one who's bringing this kingdom? Are you the one who's going to usher in this new righteousness? Are you the one who's going to deliver us from the Roman Empire and their ungodly rule, their pagan rule? Are you the one? Remember last, well, those of you who were there Thursday night as we're going through Matthew, Jesus, after he is Revealed as the Messiah, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, Simon, flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you, but my father who is in heaven. It says, from that time on, from the time that he was understood to be the Messiah, Jesus started to talk to them about him going to Jerusalem, suffering under the hands of the elders, the the leaders and the teachers of the law, that he was going to die and that he was going to rise again. It was after they understood, oh, you're the one. You're the one we're looking for. You are him. As soon as that was revealed, he started telling them a little bit more information. 
And what did Peter do? No, no, Lord. It says that Peter rebuked Jesus. Imagine. He rebuked Jesus, says, Lord, that's never going to happen. I will never let that happen to you. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You're not concerned with the things of God. You're concerned with the things of men. What is he saying? Your idea of the kingdom is not the same thing that I am bringing in. What you want and what's going to happen aren't going to be the same. But the reason Peter rebuked him is because, Jesus, what you're saying doesn't fit our mold, doesn't fit our way of thinking. It isn't how we want things to take place. And let me ask you, is your life going the way you want it to? Are things happening the way you want them to? Let me ask you this, whose kingdom are you in? You see, if you are under someone else's rule, if this ground belongs to a different king, if this heir belongs to a different king, if we are under his rule, then is it about what happens to you? Is that the focal point? Is that what we're really looking forward to? You see, they were anticipating. The Hebrew mind, the kingdom of God, was moving forward, was going to be established. It was breaking in, and it had always been doing so throughout their history. The book of Isaiah talks about the earth moving from a, a desert to a place of fruitful where there's streams in the desert. Talked about a world where peace was going to start taking in, where the swords would be turned into plows and where the lion would lay down with the lamb, that there was going to be this transformation as the kingdom was established. They were looking forward towards this. They were expecting it to happen. What are our ideas of what this kingdom is going to look like? We think, well, there's just heaven. You go to heaven. Let me ask you this. When the scriptures say there will be a new heaven and a new earth, why does there need to be a new heaven? What's wrong with the old heaven? You see, our ideas of what heaven is and what the kingdom is are separate. But Jesus is ushering in this kingdom. Heaven will be on earth. That's their established way. So how is that showing up in our lives right now? What is that looking like? Are we looking forward this, to this? What's taking place? And that's why Jesus was so curious to them. That's why he stirred up so much controversy, this son of a carpenter under suspicious circumstances. That they looked at him and they said, he's doing amazing things. Is this the one? Is this the king who is coming? But as they scrutinized him, especially the religious leaders, they came up with the conclusion, no. And what they did is said, this isn't the king that we're going to back. This isn't our candidate. 
We're not voting for this one. This isn't the king that we want because he's not doing the things we want him to do. Like Peter said, Lord, never will I let this happen. Whose kingdom is it? Do you get to decide what the king does? Do you tell the king how he should reign? Jesus, this is how you need to do it. Well, you would think so if you were in a Christian bookstore. If you listen to some of the teachings on the radio, you would think God is all about doing what we want. In fact, the will of God is synonymous with easy. It must have been God's will. Why? Because I got that parking spot right in front. Must have been. It was God's will. Why? Because I got the promotion. See, God's will is always what goes our way. Must have been God's will. Why? Because things went smooth for me. Do you see what's happening? Now God's will is subject to what we want. And this is the point that I I wanted to bring out this morning as we're continuing through this series. Jesus didn't ask us to help him build the kingdom. He didn't say, go get your hammer and nails, get some wood. We're going to build this kingdom together. Jesus said, see, it's here. Believe. Be part of my kingdom. It's his kingdom. It's not something we're manufacturing. It's already here. And it's showing up And it's moving forward. And he's telling us, see it, repent, means turn around and believe it. Repent's a bad word. It's like an STD to us. We hear hear repent and it's like, I don't like that word. But you see, maybe what we really need to repent of most, and I touched on this last week, is our idea of what the kingdom is and our relationship to it. Maybe what we really need to repent of is that what we want is God to be a part of our kingdom. And the problem we have is that we take the reign of God and make it an individual and a personal thing. It's about me and my relationship with God. And so now God is going to cater to the things that I desire. God is now subject to me. And now when things don't go my way, when I don't get the job, when I do get sick, when things start falling apart, I can blame God. Why? Because he's not working it according to the way I want it to. Again, we ask, whose kingdom are you in? You see, if it's his kingdom then he has the right to do things and move things the way he wants. Then the question is, is he a good king, which is something else we'll get into. But Jesus never apologized. He never said, hey guys, can you help me? He was real upfront and said, this is how it is. The kingdom is among you. Repent and believe. Believe that I am ushering in this kingdom, this new rule 
for my purposes. The problem is we want Jesus to be our king. We want him to cater to us and to our kingdom. But the Hebrew mind had a clear understanding, probably more than most Christians, of what the kingdom really was about. It was about God's rule showing up here on earth and making a difference. Do you believe that's still the case? Or is the kingdom of God just something in the future, in the by and by, soon and very soon, we're going to see the king? And it's something that has no reach into your life now. The king has no say or rule on your or my life now. We don't recognize that this is his heir, that this is his earth, that these are his nations, that he is breaking in and he is starting to change things. And he has. He is. And we're going to look more at what that looks like in the weeks to come, how the kingdom is here, but it's still yet to come. We have this strange view that there is life and then there is eternal life. And so you move from this place of life and then when you die, you go into eternal life. But Jesus doesn't break it up like that. Jesus says there is the kingdom of darkness and there is the kingdom of light. And they go through both time and eternity. And that's why there needs to be a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus has come to bring in the new heaven, the new earth, to bring in a kingdom of righteousness, a kingdom of light that's here and forever. And so we need to stop thinking so linear in what this kingdom looks like and start seeing it being applicable to our lives here and now. That the king's voice has say into how we live if he's our king. That the king's voice has rule into the way we conduct ourselves and how we use our resources and how we deal with one another. That the king has a say in our lives, in all these areas of our life, right now. Because this is his kingdom showing up in and through us and throughout all the world. It's nothing new. It's been going on since the foundation when he established his rule with his people. We have to see ourselves a part of this picture and not so unique. I know it's very romantic to have this personal thing with God. Oh, me and God, we've got this thing. And we want it to just be us and God. And although he's incredibly intimate, in fact, he's invasively so. It's not so that you and he can work out your own arrangement of how you live. 
It's his kingdom. It's his rule. It's his world. He's establishing himself in it right now through his people. So let's allow ourselves to hear his voice and the things that he has to say for us that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why? Because this is his kingdom. We are his people. We belong to this kingdom, to this king who we call Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I know sometimes the, the first step in changing the way we live is changing our perception of how things really are. And this morning, that was my hope, is that there could be a realization that your kingdom is near, that it is present, that even as you said, it is within us, that your kingdom is being established and is moving forward and you've invited us to, to be a part of it. God, I pray that we could start to see how this will shape the things that we do, the way that we live, if we are under the rule of a king. And most of us, that concept just grinds against us. We think of ourselves as free people. We want no rule over us, and maybe that's the beginning of a problem. We don't want anyone over us, and so we live lives of rebellion and show the consequences in the decisions we make. We want no king. We want to be free people. And our freedom has brought ruin and hurt. God, what is best is to have a good king, to have a good rule, to have good laws, righteous, ethical, faithful, just. That's what we need, and that's what you offer. And so the decision and the perception that we are to have is an understanding of your rule on this earth, your kingdom, as it's starting to show up, as it's starting to, to break forth. And, and as nations will rise and nations will fall, your kingdom keeps moving forward quietly, unseen, and then it shows up. It, it bursts out in a, a group of people who who go by your name and make a difference in the world around them. It shows up in different countries, in revivals. It shows up through people who are yielded to your laws and are serving other people and bringing services and help and health to those people. It shows up in the strangest of places. In the darkness, your light breaks out. 
Do we see it? Do we realize that it is happening? And do we want to repent and believe so that we can be a part of it? So that we can be useful to you. You don't need us to build your kingdom, but you've invited us to be a part of it. Do we want to be a part of it? And I pray, God, that we would lose this frame of mind that sees the kingdom of God as spiritual and the future and not something that is tangibly taking place here and now and is going to continue to move forward and eventually reign completely. May we not think the kingdom of God is two steps above a fairy tale. May we start to embrace the reality. May we see the kingdom of God is near. May we repent and believe. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.